Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Well, hello everyone. This is Pastor Daniel, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast here with Pastor Martin Winslow. And um, first of all, I just want to say, Martin, it's glad to have you back. We missed you last week and still continue to pray for you and Amy and the kids as you grieve Amy's mom's passing away. Thank but you. Um, Thank you. You know, and, uh, today we're talking about uh, fellowship and the importance of the one another's and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And so <clears throat> just off the bat, if you don't mind, um, how did you how did you guys benefit from the the one another's last week as you were going through this grieving process and losing Amy's mom and just the long fight she's had with with illness? Just talk to us about how did you experience fellowship the last few weeks? It's been incredible. In fact, I would say more than more than once, Amy and I looked at each other and said, "What do people do?" that don't have a church family Mm. because we felt so much support through the whole process. You know, um, Amy's mom had been suffering for a while from the breast cancer and had been back in and out of the hospital so many times. And during that time, just great friends here from the church had reached out to us and said, can we bring a meal by? We know Amy's been gone and down serving her mom. And, um, Hey, I'm praying for you. A couple of times last week, people just had sent texts of prayers because they knew we were busy working on funeral arrangements and stuff, but still wanted to reach out. We got so many kind cards and just the thoughts of God's people kind of carrying that burden with us were such a comfort, Daniel. Um, not to mention the fact that so many people took time out of their schedule on Friday to drive down and it's, you know, COVID. There's all kinds of reasons you could come up with to not come down and took time to come during the visitation and the funeral to, to just be there for our family. Mm. It, it meant so much and that made us feel so loved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, amen. <clears throat> well, we'll continue to pray for you guys. It's just a tough thing to go through. Yeah. Tough Thank thing. Um, and you know, and we go through that as, just as humans, we go through death of loved ones, sickness, yeah. illness. We go through great times, having babies, getting married, you know. And uh, it's just, like like you said, it's just, I cannot imagine personally going through any of those without church family. You know, right. it's just, uh, and you're right, we do hear that question a lot. I remember several families we've ministered to here at Canaan, just you know, even recently going through that with them. They've, asked, they've kind of had the same comments. How do people go through this without without Christ, without a church family. So, so true. So true. Well, this past Sunday, as we were looking at the one another's as kind of the strategy for how we accomplish this same fellowship, um, we talked first a little bit about fellowship, that, that word koinonia and that word partnership and how that's would be a really good translation of koinonia as partnership. And, you know, John uses that in First John. He says our, our fellowship or our partnership is with the Father and then it is with each other. So um, I, that's that's very clarifying for me, you know, to help me understand what that word koinonia means. Because when we think of fellowship, like a lot, what are the comes the stereotypical concepts that come to mind? Absolutely, like you mentioned, a potluck dinner. Absolutely, right? we got to have some food, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that, you right? Know? Right. If you look at Acts chapter two, it says they fellowship with one another and they broke bread together. So, <laughs> Amen. Hey, that's biblical, man. But yeah, we do. We we kind of think of fellowship as just being together, having fun. And you can do all of that 
and even be Christians and still not get to fellowship. Right. So I think fellowships become a one of those very watered mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. terms that has kind of lost a sense of what it truly meant in the scriptures, and it's that partnership. Um, so you know, it, it's hugely important for us to partner together and with Christ. But as we looked at those one another's, the strategy, you know, it kind of broke down the four components. And the first was you had um, a third of the one another commands deal with unity. Mm-hmm. So first, why, why is unity so important? And secondly, why is it so hard? Great question. Um, I want to start with the first part. Why is it so hard? Um, I think it's interesting when you look at the New Testament and you see the three main passages where Paul talks about spiritual giftings in the church. So if you look at Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, or Romans 12, in all of those passages of Scripture where Paul breaks down what are the giftings the Spirit gives to the church, and all of them, they're all in the context of unity among mm-hmm. the body. And I think it's hard because, you know, God's given me a certain gifting, and sometimes I can't understand why other people can't see what I see. Mm-hmm. And I notice they get frustrated as well, maybe at me, because my giftings are in a different area, and I'm not like them. And so I think Paul frames those giftings in the context of unity, because we have to understand that the Spirit gives those gifts according to His own will, and they work together like a body works together. But you don't ask your hand to do what your foot does. It doesn't make any sense. And so I think that's why it's hard, because we're all a little bit different. Um, but that should work together for unity. Um, so that's the hard part. Um, what was the other part you asked? Why is it so important? And it's so important. So again, to the body illustration, right? Um, you know, you, you think of people who suffer from like an illness like cerebral palsy. And basically cerebral palsy is, is, a, is a disease that makes the body at war with itself. It's the brain, um, as, it, as it fires and functions and tells the arm to do something, the arm doesn't want to do what it is supposed to do. I had a great friend growing up named Tony Rodriguez who had cerebral palsy. And I watched Tony struggle in his body. It just wouldn't work the way it was supposed to work. Um, it was always a struggle for him. Great guy, love Tony still to this day, but the same thing could be said in the body of Christ is when we're not working together in harmony, we struggle like it's a disease within the body. Mm-hmm. And so you see people at war with one another rather than working harmoniously with each other. Yeah, I think you hit on some really good stuff there, especially with why is it so hard is that we are so different. <clears throat> we are, we're sinners, Right. And the effect sin has on the mind. I remember studying this in theology, the noetic effect, yeah. which is the the effect that our, the fall has on our mind where not only are there things we don't understand, there's just, it's like, it's like we have spiritual brain damage to where there's just some things we are not going to understand, Absolutely. you know, and we're not going to see everything the same way and <clears throat> all these different perspectives. And we're seeing that just really manifest not only in the church now, but just in our nation now, so many different perspectives coming from such different worldviews. And it's just that noetic effect we just don't understand. And then I think another thing that breaks that unity that the enemy tries to accomplish is he wants us to think the worst of each other. Mm, Absolutely. To assume the worst motivations, to to assume the... You know, the worst agendas. I mean, again, we see that politically. I mean, we see that. But 
even in the church, we see that. Even in marriages, we see that where, you know, the husband or wife will say something. And instead of just saying, hey, what do you mean by that? Automatically, the worst is assumed, right? <laughs> and that that never, yeah. ever ends well. Right. So unity, I mean, I understand why Jesus prayed for that, you know, because yeah. it is in John 17, that, that was the yeah. top of his prayer list for us the night before he's crucified. But I see why it's so important and it's so hard. It is so hard. Well, that was the first group. The second category of one another is how to deal with love. You know, like Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And so let's just talk a little bit about this love. You know, that's, again, another watered down term in the English language. We we apply love to, I love my wife. We apply love. I love right. Ted Drews, you know. Right. I love, you know, a lobster. Um, we, so we, we use that word loosely. So what exactly, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, love one another. Right. What does he mean by that? What does that yeah. word love mean in that context? You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book years ago called The Four Loves. And in the Greek language, there's four you, four words for love. Um, the word storge, which you could say something like you said. In, in our language, we don't have the differentiation. So I can say I love ice cream cones and I love my wife. We know what we mean, uh, but we don't differentiate. Mm -hmm. But storge might be more of a of a plain word. And then you've got the word phileo, which is the idea of friendship love, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Philadelphia, you can hear the word in there. Uh, mm -hmm. The city of brotherly love, yep. right? Yep. Two Greek words smashed together. And then you have, uh, in Greek, you have another word, eros, which is sexual love between a husband and a wife. But the love that Jesus is talking about there is that agape love, mm -hmm. which is this sacrificial love, this idea of laying down your rights for those around you. And I think we see Paul kind of sum that up in chapter 2 when he goes into that section, verses 5 through 11, which is it's called the Carmen Christi, the, the, the song of Christ, where it talks about him leaving heaven and coming to earth. But before that, he says... For us to do nothing out of selfishness uh, or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. So I think in the one another's, it's important for us to put ourselves in, to see ourselves in that perspective of, of dying to self and loving in such a way that we're sacrificial towards those around us. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Most, most believers I talk to, I have this conversation about love. We, we usually want to think of ourselves as a pretty loving person. I'm, I'm a pretty loving person, we'll think, right? Well, I was once challenged on this, so I'm going to issue that challenge now because it was very convicting for me. But to, to go to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, you know, it's the love passage where but most often it's read in weddings and that sort of thing. But it's the same word there. It's the agape love, right? That unconditional, sacrificial love. And, you know, it says love is patient, love is kind. And he just goes on this whole list of what that love is and how that love is defined. And, you know, ask yourself the question, um, have I been patient with certain people today? Have I been kind in all my dealings? Do I seek my own? You know, you just kind of go down the list. Am I keeping records of wrongs? Or another way that phrase could be translated is, have I been suspicious? Or like what we just said, have I thought the worst? Have I assumed the worst case scenario for people's motivations. And you go through that list and then you have this realization. I'm not always loving. Right. right? right. And, and, you know, when I do premarital counseling, we, we look at this passage. I say, whenever you are being impatient with your spouse in that moment, you do not love your spouse. 
if you're being unkind with your spouse in that moment, you are not loving. You do not love your spouse. That's so convicting. Absolutely. And so kind of go through the love test and uh, epic fail usually for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I are think, you sure First Corinthians 13 should be in the canon? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> it is convicting, that's for sure. But so as we plot to the one another's, you know, in context of church family relationships, you know, are we being patient with one another? Because again, you see something one way, I may see the exact same scenario and have a different lens that I'm looking through and almost come to a different conclusion. It's important to be gracious, patient, kind, loving with each other and try to get on the same page, right? Again, that's, and there's so many scriptures that says, be gracious with one another, patient with one another. So that's part of these one another's. And so when Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, that's how Jesus loves us. Yeah. You know, he understands our thought process. Doesn't make it okay, right? He right. convicts us, but he understands that. The third category was humility. And you kind of already hit on this by quoting Philippians chapter two, verse three and four about esteeming others as better than ourselves. And um, yeah, that plays right into the love thing. You know, it sure does. The last is encouragement. Let's talk a little bit about encouragement. Why is encouragement so critical in the body of Christ? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think encouragement is, you know, when I think back like on my life, um, I think about like key moments in my life where uh, people would come around me and say things to me that were encouraging, that allowed me to get over like a difficult time or a season. People have encouraged me in the past to, to whenever I was maybe questioning my giftings to help me keep running in my lane. Um, and I think it's so important because what can happen a lot of times is because we are sinners and you talk about the noetic effect is we can even sabotage ourselves and feel like, well, you know, because of the sin cycle that's inside of each one of us and we fall and we make mistakes, we can feel sometimes like the Lord won't use us or he can't use us or doesn't have any use for us. In fact, this morning I was teaching a, an Old Testament class and I was talking about Moses and how Moses kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. And here, all these years later, God's going to use a guy who murdered somebody, mm -hmm. like had to flee Egypt and go to Midian. And here God's going to use him like God had to really encourage Moses. He had to he had to show up in the burning bush and over and over say, you were going to go for me. Moses tried everything he could to get out of it. But God right. kept encouraging him and saying, no, you know, throw down your staff and I'm going to make it a snake and stick your hand inside your robe and it'll become leprous. And then and then it'll go away like even God had to encourage Moses to mm -hmm. do that. But I think the way our mind works, we can feel like the Lord's done with us. And, and I need encouragement from you. You need it from me. All of our brothers and sisters need that. Mm -hmm. It just helps us to get over those humps, those difficult times in life. Yeah. So practical ways. What are some of the most practical, what are some of the most practical ways people have encouraged you that's been the most meaningful? Yeah, I think, I think just words of encouragement, just kindness, um, you know, at random times, maybe somebody, you know, this last week I, I preached my, my mother-in-law's funeral, one of the most difficult things I've, I've had to do. And when it was over, Brian Davidson walked up to me and said, man, you, you did great. You hit a home run and you honored her. What what a word of encouragement, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to represent Christ well. I wanted to share the gospel well, but I wanted to honor her as well. Mm. And for that brother to take that time and say those things to me was 
incredible. Yeah, means a lot. And I think a lot of times too, Daniel, we think fondly about people. We we think great thoughts about them, but but many times we don't say it. Hmm. And I, I think it's important for us to say those words. Uh, probably the most powerful thing we have is our words. Yep, that's right. So it's good. It's a good thought. Well, last thing I'll talk about is, you know, how do we, as a church family, how do we facilitate and cultivate this kind of fellowship with one another, right? Um, of course, you know, the, the big philosophy you get from Scripture and experientially is, is the importance of that small group mm-hmm. concept. We call them connection groups. But, um, you know, so what? How, how has small groups, connection groups, now, you've been in before, you've been at Canaan, small group, Sunday school, whatever, whatever platform it was. How have, how did those benefit you? How did you see these one another's carried out in those small group contexts? Well, like we were talking earlier, just about the giftings that God gives within the church is, you know, I've seen like in my small group, you know, the things that I'm not good at, maybe others in the group are good at, or the angles that I don't see, they see. And what you pointed out Sunday in your message, which I thought was great, was the idea of koinonia. And we've even talked about it just a few minutes ago as being a partnership is I even see like when we're on mission together, we bring different things to mission teams. Mm. And so all of those things are encouraging as we try to be, you know, in a partnership for the advancement of the gospel, like in, in our own lives, in the lives of people around us. Um, and so I, I think it's critical that we see that fellowship as the in the partnership context. It's so important as we do what God's called us to do in Matthew 28. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good deal. Well, thanks for your insights, Martin. And uh, thanks for everyone for listening. So we'll uh, continue our podcast. Just this uh, Sunday, we're talking about investing, meaning not financially, but relationally, investing in disciple making, investing in others in that intentional disciple making process. So we'll be looking at that Sunday through the message and then next week on the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Everybody have a a blessed rest of the week.